welcome to a special General Convention 78 edition of The Collect Call. This podcast is an offering of the Acts 8 moment, proclaiming resurrection in the Episcopal Church. I'm Brendan O'Sullivan-Hale, and I'm a layperson and a member of the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis, Indiana. This podcast is about the intersection of liturgy and life, and today we're talking about that intersection at the ground floor level in a church plant. Between a few resolutions encouraging a renewal and increase of funding for mission enterprise zones, and the Episcopal Resurrection Memorial to the Church and the accompanying church planting resolution, D005, there's quite a bit of conversation about church planting coming into this general convention. In the interest of full disclosure, I am one of the authors of the Episcopal Resurrection Memorial, and I'm on record elsewhere as supporting D005. However, in both today's show and a second show on church planting we'll be posting later this week, we're going to stay away from policy particulars and focus more on direct experience. What follows is an interview with the Rev. Dr. Terry Bays, priest in charge of the Church of the Holy Trinity in South Bend, Indiana. Holy Trinity is different from how you normally conceive of a church plant, heck, even an Episcopal church, in that it's a replant taking place in a 100-year-old Hungarian Episcopal parish. You heard that. Hungarian Episcopal. I'll let Terry pick up the story from here. Uh, We were founded in 1913 as a mission for the very, very unlikely group of Hungarian Episcopalians. Of all things. Um, Yeah, of all things. And I I could give you a long, long story about how that came about, but I'll I'll leave that behind. Um, It's a parish that struggled for many years and, and did a great job of serving um, the Hungarian community in this area, but as industry waned, the 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 Eastern Europeans in general in the neighborhood around Holy Trinity started moving out, and the African Americans who'd been drawn to the same community by the same industries in the Great Migration um, were in many cases trapped. They were not able to get out, and so the demographics shifted, and so the neighborhood is now, I think it's 80, no, it's 70% African American, Mm -hmm. uh, about 8% Latino, though that's growing, um, and the rest are elderly white folks. And um, as the congregation strived to maintain its Hungarian character, that unfortunately meant it turned its back on its own neighborhood. And that almost drove the parish into the ground. In January of 2014, their rector of 22 years retired. And as her uh, retirement loomed on the horizon, the bishop set up a task force to figure out what to do with Holy Trinity. And I was part of a group of people who said, who were appointed to that task force and said, we cannot abandon this neighborhood, but neither can we abandon these people who have been holding on in this neighborhood. So something's got to give. And so in some ways, what we're engaged in at Holy Trinity is a total reimagining of the parish um, with the people who were there. So my church planting team is in fact made up of two people who first came to Holy Trinity in utero and they're now retirement age. Um, And (laughs) I've got others who have come along the way. We were one of the first gay-friendly parishes in this part of the diocese. So there are a number of ways in which people have been drawn here, but the return has been to re-involve ourselves with the neighborhood. 
Liturgically, what that's meant is that we have drawn upon, this is a very, I wouldn't quite say Anglo-Catholic, it's really been a Hungarian Catholic right. parish, right, with, um, in conformity with the Church, I mean, Eastern Rite Episcopalian, you might call it. Yeah. What we've done is to let go of the Hungarian and focus on the feeling of being outsiders, um, because our, our congregation was founded by people who didn't speak English, and they translated the Mass into Hungarian. And only in the 60s did they translate it, did they move over to... So they were doing the, the, the prayer book in Hungarian. So, so wait, let me get these. They, they were translating the 28 prayer book into Hungarian. Into Hungarian. Wow. Yeah. And it was more of like the Missile Mass version of the 28 prayer book. Okay. Into Hungarian. And then in the 60s they decided, you know, uh, we got to get with the time. They moved into English, but they moved directly into modern English. Right, so they direct, they moved directly into the what were then the various the provisional right. prayer books. They've never done the right one thing, and they kept Hungarian hymns until the eighties. Hmm. So what we've been doing is taking that ethos that is you know that loves processions and candles and is very much into the tangible aspects of worship. Um, and not so much attached to, you know, any particular form of language, and address that to the church. So we happen to have, I'm going to have to stop and jump back a little bit. I'm only half time at the parish. The parish is struggling financially. Mm-hmm. We're just barely keeping our heads above water. So I'm only there half time. I have a group of eight other clergy from around the area who have agreed to invest their time and do supply, routine supply work um, on the Sundays when I'm at my other parish. I was wondering about that. I was looking at the webpage, and I thought, gosh, you've got a lot of people. We've got a ton of people, and some very talented people, who've said, we have a commitment to the people of the west side of South Bend, um, where, by the way, the poverty rate and the violence rate are very, very high. So some of those people are blues music- musicians. Mm. <laughs> So we're going to make a big jump here. So one of the things we've done is to um, take what we have, which are these talented musicians, and we have, for example, um, done a blues tenebrae service, Hmm. um, seeing the match there in Lament. Um, We've done a, um, actually, one of the the Feast of um, of the Virgin on August 15th is a big deal for us. And what we did was to look at it and say, well, so how, you know, this is the celebration of the end of Mary's earthly ministry, however you want to conceive of that, right. um, and her elevation to heaven. So how would we celebrate that in a way that would make sense to our African-American neighbors? And what we did was to create a blues anthem and go in procession around the church, not quite a Dixieland um, jazz funeral, but, but pretty close where we sang about the the sorrows of Mary from which she had been released. So is that the picture that's on your Facebook page? Uh, that's an earlier picture of a, of a similar kind of procession. That's not the one from last year when we did it in blues. But yes, that's, I mean, that's what it would have looked like okay. last year. But yes, I mean, that's, that's what that procession looked like. Okay, and um, they're processing with a picture of the Virgin of Guadalupe, which adds a whole other right. cultural so element to it. 
we're trying to also, I mean, we're aware of tensions between the Latino and the African American community in our town, which are largely divided by a railroad track mm. um, in our neighborhood, but, but our neighborhood is becoming increasingly Latino. And so we have um, been mixing our images a bit um, to say that, hey, we're open to both communities and we're hoping to, to serve a reconciling role. When we do rogation days, we decided, well, you know, this is a really dangerous neighborhood and people are struggling to hang on. So what we did was to go around and first we asked permission uh, because this is a neighborhood where you don't just show up and start praying on somebody's lawn. Right. Um, it might be a little dangerous. So we, after asking permission, went around and I wrote, um, wrote or gathered collects and versicles and responses for each of the type of work being done within walking distance of our church. Hmm. And people were stunned. We've done it now twice. And, you know, I'm making up prayers for gas stations and auto body shops. We had to leave the thermal at home when we went to the gas station because we were afraid <laughs> of the parks. Um, you know, we're willing to um, adapt. Yeah. So that first year we went south, and that's, we left the thermal at home that year. The next year we went north, and um, it was we didn't have any gas stations, so we took the thermal along. The first year, we had a group of people who we, we were going to go down the street and cross and then come back the other side of the street. And there were some people on the other side of the street um, at a place that, not inconsequentially, was rumored to be selling heroin out the back. They were a um, car wash out the front. So we were blessing the car wash part. And, and these prayers were all about focus on the safety and prosperity of the people working here and that they would find meaning and connection with God in their work and that they were, you know, again, tailored to the type of work they were doing. So we're going down one side of the street and they see us pass them and then cross the street to go to a fire station and they thought we'd pass them by. Huh. And they stood up and they were watching us and we're thinking, oh no, they're going to, you know, they're going to attack us or something like that because we knew that they were pretty tough. And all of a sudden this guy comes running after us and we get all defensive and turn around, and um, I'm actually kind of worried because my daughter, my teenage daughter's at the back of the procession, and I'm at the front, so I go back there. And the guy said, wait a minute, aren't you going to come and bless us? Or are you only blessing the good people of this neighborhood? Huh. Are we not good enough to get a blessing? And, and we just, I mean, our jaws dropped. It never occurred to us that somebody might think that. And fortunately, I was able to open my bullets in this, so I was very glad that I'd written down the prayers. Paperless is not always the best way, because here I could point out and say, now here's your prayer right here. We came down here, we're turning around, we're coming back up. He stood and, and prayed with us in front of the fire station, and then went back with us up the street. And when we got there, all these people we've been afraid of stood up and prayed with us. Mm. And we were just flabbergasted. Wow. Um, the next year, when we went north, people were, um, they thought we were protesting. Because at one point we were praying in front of Family Dollar and they thought we were protesting. And we went, no, you know, the people who work here, and we may think what we think about, about the corporate structure, but the people who are working the cash registers need our prayers. Um, you know, we know they're overworked and underpaid. That's why we're praying for them. Um, but really just changing as our first step in relationship with the neighborhood how whether the neighborhood sees us as for them or against them yeah um because that's you know we're in a neighborhood where mo all but three of the mainline churches have moved out 
there's us, there's a um, United Methodist Church that's two doors down and who's also struggling as we are, and then quite a ways down the road, but still in our neighborhood is a Roman Catholic church that's fairly small. Everybody else has moved out except for the sort of purity holiness tradition. So we've got um, Church of God in Christ, we've got Apostolic Temple, then we've got some, um, and Missionary Baptist, and then we've got the non-denominational Pentecostal churches, all of which, how shall we say, have a very defensive and rejecting um, stance towards a lot of the people in the neighborhood who are struggling with all sorts of stuff. And so what we're trying to do is really say, you know, come, come worship with us. Let us bless what you're doing that's good. Let us identify what's holy and lift that up and help you build on that because you are God's children. Right. It sounds like what you're doing at this stage is a lot of trust building. That's right. That's right. Trust building, relationship building. You know, it takes a long time to get people. So, for example, um, we had some folks who said, you know, let's just, we need, there are children here who are undernourished. Just let us just make some soup and feed them. Because we had all sorts of um, what I now know to call free range children wandering into our services, especially on the weekdays. And I don't think they're, I felt like writing notes to their parents saying, do you know your kids are in church? Do you know where your children are? But we knew that these kids were hungry, and we wanted to give them some nutritious food. And so we, this one guy who just wanted to, you know, make some, all he wanted to do was make some soup. He said, okay, fine, but we're going to sit down. This is not going to be a soup kitchen. It's going to be a community dinner. And making all those little changes so that what we're doing is being in relationship with our neighbors, not, you know, here we are, the work, white church telling you how to do it. Right, right. It's, it's, and it's just, it's one little bitty step at a time, you know, just changing pieces by pieces, and you think you're there, and then something happens, and you go, oh, mm, I guess we still have some learning to do. But we're, it's starting to make a difference. Um, we've got some people who are, you know, little things like the drunk who would kind of stop by and say hi and chat with us a little bit, who round about February started coming to Mass regularly. And has been and came up to me and was said said you know I have trouble with alcohol. What do I do about communion wine? I probably shouldn't be taking it. And so you know I showed him the whole hand gesture. You know, you cross your hands over your chest and it's fine. And everybody's fine with that. And um, but just starting to approach some of those issues. We've had various children who've come um, and have had to struggle with you know how, what do we what do we do <laughs> when we don't you know when we don't know who their parents are and. Uh, we want to welcome them, but we also don't want to be giving alcohol to minors, uh, unaccompanied minors. And it, you know, they're just—it's—it's it's constantly learning, and it's constantly real live ministry. And I joke to my family: I really never know what I'm going to be doing right. when I get up in the morning, because God is continually, continually surprising me. But what I know I'm not going to be doing is sitting around saying, you know, am I making a difference? Am I doing real ministry? Because it's so, it's so close to the bone. The miracles don't have anywhere to hide. Our staying open from one day to the next is, is an ongoing miracle. So tell, me, <laughs> so tell me more about that, that staying open from one day to the next. And clearly there's some will around the Diocese of Northern Indiana um, to, to help this place continue to exist and do ministry. But can you give me more of a sense of the practical realities? Sure, yeah. I mean, part of the issue is we've got lots more will than we have money. Mm. This is a congregation that 
there's really no nice way of putting it. They were, they, their former rector had not talked with them about stewardship in at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our first pledge drive just in the sense of, please write down on a piece of paper and tell us what you intend to give in over 10 years this past fall. But it went beyond that. I mean, we had basically everybody in the church thinking that putting $10 in the plate a week was, was a good and generous contribution, regardless. I mean, you know, some people are living on Social Security alone, and that's fine. Um, but other people who are fully employed. And, and there was a kind of, there was a way in which the parish was filled with people who were sort of frozen in a teenage state. And they hadn't realized they needed to grow up um, and, and be the adults in the parish. So the parish was spending about twice as much as it was bringing in each month mm-hmm. and relying on um, people who would come and rescue it, uh, including some people who were mentally ill and were sort of, um, you know, the parish wouldn't speak truth to them about their behavior that was in many ways self destructive involving you know not taking medication that they were prescribed um, and and being self-destructive in lots of different lifestyle ways because they were afraid that they wouldn't any longer be supported by these people and it, so it was caught up in, in, in a really troublesome web that way and had really run themselves into the ground we um, applied for and received one of the first market mission grants Mission Enterprise Zone. So oh, my first year, okay. yeah, oh, definitely. And so that first year I was there, half, more than half of my salary, what, of my halftime salary, was being paid through that grant. And which was a great thing because yeah. I was coming in and had no idea what the state of finances were. And so then, as that was winding down, um, and we're trying to get things. I mean, literally, the parish was running off a checkbook. And if they had money, they spent it. I mean, it was very much a mirror of what's going on in the neighborhood. So we've been trying to put our, our fiscal infrastructure back together. We, we got a, um, what I call a budget-shaped object. It's not a real budget. Right. <laughs> um, it's what the, what the priest could gather from information together. And initially, we were $6,000 in the hall before we paid a penny to any priest. Forget supply, you know, would they always start with that? Well, maybe if we just play paid supply clergy um, and didn't pay any salary. I'm like, no, no, you're $4,000 in the hole before you even get there. And to their credit, they said, okay, we got to slash and burn. And we have cut down to essentially paying our utilities. We had been paying an organist, and he is volunteering his time currently. We applied for a grant from the Episcopal Church Foundation, which we did not get. So currently we are, so we went back with an and sat down, and I said, well, do you want me to look at your, at your giving records to really see, with what, see what we're dealing with? And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, I've got, you know, people who ought to be able to give more than that, who, who are giving as if they were, were living on Social Security. And to their credit, I mean, I said a lot of hard things, and they said, "You're right," and and they're trying to turn that around. But we're still we're still about fifteen thousand dollars short of being able to meet our bare bones budget at this point. So we're we're um, doing a lot of praying. We're doing a lot of. We're currently planning a fundraiser called Holy Smoke, where we combine this celebration of Mary with. Uh, barbecue cook off and we're hoping to have the, the fire department come and 
show children in the neighborhood how to escape from burning buildings. We also, we've been contacted by this local Roman Catholic church about doing, it's, it's the town's only African-American um, Roman Catholic church. And they want to do a celebration of Selma, and they want to show Disney Selma, Lord Selma, and realize that Jonathan Myrick Daniels, who's featured in that film, um, was an Episcopalian. Yeah. They said, well, can we do something together? And we're like, sure. So we're going to do a screening of that, if we can get all the rights together. But, you know, so we're trying to put things together to both, you know, it, it's, it's one of those situations where we have to grow everywhere at once. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's trying to figure out where some of the really bad habits are in deeply ingrained and how to turn those around while maintaining the enthusiasm of the congregation for outreach. Um, you know, and meanwhile, there was a shooting a block away from the parish a week ago, a week and a half ago now, but um, a guy was killed. So, yeah, it's it's crazy and um, and exhilarating and terrifying all at once. So tell me about some of your hopes for the parish. Oh, wow. Well, you know, if, if I were to, you know, have, have a, a fairy godmother wave her wand, my real hopes for the parish is that we can evolve into a place where people in the neighborhood can join with the people who've grown up in this congregation um, in a very... A, a place it, it join us in a place where people can find peace mm -hmm. um, in a chaotic deeply chaotic world where they can in that peace hear the voice of God calling to them and where they can use their the gifts God has given them both to worship God but also to to build up the kingdom, whether that's in figuring out what gifts they have to offer the church or what gifts they have to offer the neighborhood, what gifts they have to offer, offer the world, but really how to live their lives as a response to God's calling. And I'm seeing that happen in small ways in the parish. It's not just a sort of pie in the sky kind of way. hope. You know, we're doing things even as mundane as asking folks who've been doing their ministry in the church because if they didn't do it, nobody else would. And and really saying, well, okay, what if you put that down? Can we trust God enough to say, hey, God, we need somebody to do this. Show us how to do it with you doing what God is calling you to do. You know, so we've done little things like um, applying for a grant from the diocese. We got a little grant to pay um, <laughs> to pay the cathedral's bookkeeper two hours a week. So we could, A, get our finances in order, and B, release our treasurer, who's an art historian, to do more artistic work, to do more liturgical work, to do the kind of work he's called to do rather than to be struggling to do work that he's not called to. Right, right. And and we've done that in a number of different different places. We've got a, a community garden, and I've got a young man who is 
let's say he's undereducated for his intelligence level mm-hmm. through through a number of, of interesting choices in life earlier. And he started out, he'd been working with his dad in the nursery business, and he took over this community garden that somebody else had started. And he's developing relationships with a lot of the little kids in the neighborhood who just wander by to see what he's doing and want him to kick a soccer ball around. Sorry, I'm moving around because somebody's mowing my, my yard and I keep trying to get away from the lawnmower and then he moves again. <laughs> and helping him develop his gifts, um, which seem to be, he's being called towards developing um, entrepreneurial skills among the kids. He was just telling us at the vestry meeting last week that he would love to, you know, gather some of these kids together and get them not only helping in the garden, but growing vegetables in their own yards and bringing the proceeds to the farmer's market so that they would learn something about running a business, so that they would have marketable skills as they grow up. These are, you know, mostly African-American males who haven't really been given much to hope about. And... To sort of, again, it's, it's that building with what we've got rather than focusing on what we don't have and thinking about how God both gives us gifts but call, and calls us to develop them both for ourselves and for other people. What are things that people who aren't engaged in the kind of ministry that Holy Trinity is, what are misconceptions that they have about um, what it takes to do this or, or what it is you need. Um, I don't know if I'm phrasing that the right way, but I'm sure. trying to get, what, what's the unique understanding that you have that other people might not? Well, I mean, I think, I think what I find, I mean, it doesn't seem unique to me, but when then I go out in the world and people say, oh, that's interesting, I've heard that way, um, is I think people think of missions and church planting as all being about young people. It's all about finding 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. And they think of it as having, um, there being a dichotomy between churches with old people and, you know, established churches with old people and these new, exciting church plants with young people. And that when you go to do church planting, you don't really care about those old people anymore. You're just kind of sweeping them under the rug and, you know, letting somebody else deal with them. So... What I think is unique about what we're doing at Holy Trinity is that it's about transformation. It's about transformation of everybody, um, from some of my homebound people in their 90s who've said, you know, well, what can I do to help? And I'm like, you can pray. You've got, you've got far more time on your hands than, than many of the rest of us do. You, you pray for us unceasing. And in fact, one woman who's in her late 80s, so she's still able to get to the church, who discovered that she, she, <laughs> she made cookies one one week we're doing something called soup after school this is that those communities that's what happened with the community suppers she made cookies right before at christmas time and helped the kids decorate them well she loved it so much she decided she was going to make cookies every month in whatever shape it was just because she so loved standing at that table with whatever group of you know kids of all ages from this neighborhood gathered around her, um, and that that was transforming her life. You know, we've got people of all ages who are joining in this 
to share what they've got. And they all, I mean, when I came in and people said, I'm just too old, I can't do anything. Because they think of missions, of, or, of church planting as this very high energy, young person oriented thing. Not how can you open what you love and share it with people you never would have dreamed of sharing it with before. And that's a transformation that can happen with anybody. What else is there that, that you think that I need to know? Is there a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had? I mean, I suppose there's always the question of what could other people do for us? Yeah, let's hear it. Um, I mean, there's the obvious pray for our mission, and, and we'd love for people to send us money, of course. We'll never turn that down. I think the big thing would be for other people to take a chance. Take a chance. There are so many things in ministry that are scary. Um, the life of faith is not about, um, I mean, it's not just about, let's say, it's, it, it is about um, what we say in the creed and, and believing certain propositions to be true. But even more so, it's about taking our belief in those propositions and using them in our hearts do something that terrifies us, trusting in the God we say we believe in. Um, it means going out on all sorts of limbs. And so what other people can do to help us is to remind us when we're scared that God is working with us, mm. to try scary things themselves. And to to encourage us, uh, to really, really to encourage us, because we often are going we know not where, and um, and we can feel really alone when we're doing that. And so, you know, though I joke about we would love to have be sent money when somebody sends us um, a check or better yet a note of encouragement, um, we know we're not alone doing this, yeah. and that makes a huge difference. Terry, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you, and have a good time at General Convention. Yeah, thanks. I'll try. Well, thanks again to Terry for spending the time with me. To find out more about the work at Holy Trinity, again, check out holytrinitysouthbend.org. You can keep up with The Collect Call by following us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To find out how, go to acts8moment.org and click on The Collect Call. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at The Collect Call or drop us a line via email at thecollectcall at acts8moment.org. The Collect Call live show spectacular will be happening on Sunday, June 28th at 7 p.m. at the Salt Lake City Hilton. I hope you'll join us for that. Also, please come to the Acts 8 prayer gathering at 9.15 p.m. on June 25th, also at the Salt Lake City Hilton. To find out more about either of those events, check out the Acts 8 Facebook page at facebook.com slash acts8moment or at acts8moment.org. Check out the other shows in the Via Media Collective, a network of podcasts with an Anglican sensibility, at viamediacollective.org. Our music is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence by Aaron DeVries, distributed under a Creative Commons license. Find more of Aaron's music at badgerland.bandcamp.com. See you soon for another installment of our General Convention series. Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly minded For with
with blessing in his hand. Christ our God to earth descended, our full homage to 